unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I'm good, and we're trying out a new format for the show, so I'm excited to see how this works, and today we're going to be talking about something very near and dear to my heart, so I'm going to turn it over to you. Great. So I'm excited about the new format, too. The one part of your copy that kills more sales than anything else is your call to action, but the same part of your copy can boost your sales immeasurably if you do it right. The problem is most copywriters are so obsessed with the headline and opening story, they don't put enough juice into the call to action. They simply ignore it when it is the most powerful and important last step before you make the sale. Now, it's understandable that people would focus so much on the headline because you hear things all the time like 80% of your persuasion power is in your headline. The thing is, there's still that other 20%, and a big part of that 20% is a strong, compelling call to action. So we are going to take some steps today to get you to 100% on your call to action. Right after we tell you that copy is powerful, you're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast, and most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So the first thing where I think people fall short and they leave a lot of money on the table is they don't put enough energy and enthusiasm into their call to action. And that's entirely understandable if if you've written everything else and you're kind of out of steam. But look, when you're doing your call to action, and we'll get to more about when you should write it in a minute, but when you're doing it, you need to feel really strongly that for the right person in the right situation, this is something they need to do, an action they need to take, a product they need to buy. And then you need to write without hesitation, without hemming and hawing. And if you're feeling hesitant, you need to get that sorted out in your own mind before you start writing it. Would you agree, Nathan? Yeah. And just to take a step back, to be fair, if -hmm. your headline isn't good, if your hook isn't good, people probably aren't going to make it to your call to action. So I understand why the emphasis on the headline and the hook and, but the idea that if those two do the heavy lifting, you can just get somebody to the call to action and the call to action will take care of itself is a huge flaw I see in a lot of copy nowadays. Well, let me say something about that. I remember before I started writing copy, I was one of the original slackers before they even invented the term. I mean, I would make the effort, but I would try and be very selective about where I'd I'd make the effort where I thought I needed it. But if I thought I could get away with doing less, I would. And so it's, it's hard for me to criticize people for doing the same thing, but a lot of people do. But what I found in copy is 
No, you've got to make it 100%, 100% of the way. Mm-hmm. And and so, yeah, it's true. Uh, if you don't have a good headline and good hook, they're probably not going to make it. They might not even read your copy at all. But if if they do, you can't, like, take your foot off the gas and put your feet up on the table. You know, you can't. You, I mean, this is a really, really important thing to do. So. So now that we've kind of emphasized why the call to action is so important, let's jump into some examples of how to make a higher converting, stronger call to action. Okay, so the first thing you got to think about is the rhythm. I used to use the example of, you know, with, with parents, you know, where they say, okay, if you've got a kid playing in the front lawn, and all of a sudden they start to walk in the street when a car's coming down, do you get up and say, you know, Jimmy, I'm not sure I can give you a participation trophy if you don't stand. No, you're going to say, Jimmy, get off the street now, right? And you're going to say it with energy. And also, I also want you to notice participation trophy are big, long words. Get off the street now are short words. Mm -hmm. And I said them in a kind of uh, a faster tempo and a staccato rhythm. Now, you don't want to be yelling at your prospects, at least. Okay, there are a few people who do that, but I don't recommend it unless it's part of your personality and brand relationship with your customers. But you do want to be talking at a better clip with more intensity. You know, I mean, if if you watch these... um, I I watch a a lot of spy movies and action-adventure movies. And when those guys are in combat, you know, the the special ops guys, they're using short words. They're repeating the same words back to each other. There's not – even though (laughs) sometimes these guys end up speaking poetically at at other times to deliver a message of the movie, when they're in action, it's focused. I want to touch on something that you said the without hesitation or without the hemming and hawing. I see this a lot where it comes time to actually make the offer and they beat around the bush and they feel hesitant. It, it almost feels like they're scared to make the offer. You've talked before about like insurance commercials where they're cute because it feels like maybe they're afraid to or ashamed to actually make the sale. I see this in a lot of copywriting too, where they get to the point where the call to action should come into play but then they delay it with another two or three paragraphs because they don't want to get st- there. They do have that hesitation. I wanted to get your th- thoughts on that. Yeah, that that is a, a really strong point. I have a, a friend named Ben F. Gay the third. I think he he's the junior third, and he wrote a book called The Closers. Real old school guy, great sales trainer. And one day I got this sales training. I guess it was for sales managers. I got this postcard in the mail and it said 82% of salespeople don't close. Don't ask for the sale. Mm. And I asked him about that. He said, I I don't think that's true. I said, what do you mean? He said, I think that's too low. And that's Ben, you know, but I, I think he was being serious in a way. I mean, it's scary. And you, you, you could say, okay, well, you know, I'm sitting here behind a keyboard, you know, but if you're doing it right, you're feeling like you're talking to somebody when you're writing copy, right? You're imagining a specific prospect and you're having a conversation with them. 
And it's a little frightening to ask for something where the answer might be no. I mean, yeah, with, with the TV commercials, they're not even trying. They're not even hemming and hawing. They're just giving it up entirely. Say, okay, let's do something silly and hope that nobody notices. And that's the problem. You know, people remember the joke, but they don't notice the product or develop any desire for it. So that brings us into another thing that I see a lot, which is, especially in the age of social media, writing for applause or writing for clicks or writing for uh, the likes and also which is starting to lose favor, but for the last couple of years has been very prominent writing for virtue signaling and not for sales. And so I wanted to get your take on, on that, the phenomena in the social media era and in the kind of social justice era of um, advertising, not being about selling the product, not being about asking for the sale, but instead being about these other things that seem to be a little bit easier, but don't actually move the needle as far as what we're supposed to be doing. Well, it's tricky. I mean, in defense of, of all the virtue signaling, there are a lot of people who both as employees and as customers are concerned about the social responsibility of a company and their their position, especially younger people and especially in regard to the planet and climate, things like that. And that's understandable. I'm not against people feeling the way they feel because that's how they feel. You can't change that. Nevertheless, you can't trade branding, that kind of branding, you know, sort of branding yourself as having great social values or planetary environmental values, you can't trade that for creating individual desire with a customer. And, you know, when people are reading a tweet or a message on Facebook, they, they don't, they're not, you know, the, the problem is we imagine they have a scorecard, like they're, you know, they're with a clipboard or they're like a judge at um, America's Got Talent or Britain's Got Talent or whatever. They're just responding to what they're reading. And so they might say, yeah, boy, this, this company has really good values. But you want them to think you have really good value. You have really good value for them. Mm -hmm. And so the thing most people don't do that they need to do is decide what their objective is when they're delivering a message and then deliver the message and then maybe before you click send or post say is this meeting my objective or did i get sidetracked by something else i mean what do you have you ever found yourself i i think you're pretty conscious of the intention of what you do but i know you work with clients who maybe do some of their own writing have you ever had any conversations with them about this about what in particular what you brought up the the whole idea of, of virtue signaling or going for likes or going for applause yeah i have found it's easier to write copy just for engagement or likes or pats on the back it's more comfortable for more people but it doesn't usually translate into sales and usually the people who the people who engage verse the people who engage based off of your your virtue signaling tend not to be people who actually support with their wallets. And so I, 
I agree. I, I'm a big fan of identifying the villains and the virtues of your marketplace. But you, you say this a lot. If it doesn't lead to the sale, it doesn't belong in the message. And I think that there's a fine line to walk where you can satisfy both. But most most copywriters and most marketers today are having to learn that the hard way. You know, I've seen a, a few different versions of this same quote. Um, the one I remember the first time I saw it was from Gloria Steinem. And it said, if you want to know what your values really are, look at your calendar and your checkbook. You know, I mean, people will talk a good game, but look at what they really do and how they spend their time and how they spend their money. So, yeah, with a call to action, don't have split attention. Don't say, well, is this environmental enough? Well, is this political enough and whatever political side I'm on? You want to say, well, what you want to say is, is this going to give the customer a, a solid reason and clearly marked path to take the next step because that's what the call to action is all about. And I think that the exception to that is if the product lines up with that. If you're selling uh, electric cars, hitting that uh, hitting that environmental thing, or if you're selling Che Guevara shirts, hitting the horrors of capitalism might make sense. But if you're not trying to make money off of Che Guevara shirts, it probably doesn't belong in the message. Please spend money on my shirt to s support my fight against the horror of capitalism. I love it. <laughs> Stop using the hero's journey in your sales copy. My book, The Persuasion Story Code, will help you put together stories that convince your prospects and resolve their objections. If you are a copywriter, you'll appreciate that every single one of the 25 kinds of stories in this book have been proven time and time again in profitable sales copy. But I've also used these kinds of stories to close five and six figure deals for my own business. And so have many of my clients. These stories are easy to create and easy to tell. They sound like ordinary conversation, but they are all designed and proven to lead to a yes. You can get the Persuasion Story Code on Amazon.com. So get your copy today. All right. So you you also brought up short, punchy words and <clears throat> the the staccato. The and I noticed this in the best sales letters is that once it gets to the end, once I'm about to push you into that that crescendo, the the grand finale of the sales letter, just like yeah. the fireworks shows, it starts off boom. Boom! But then, towards the end of this, the fireworks show, it's boom, 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 boom. I, I notice the best sales letters towards the calls to action. They get that kind of energy, and I wanted to get your take on that. Yeah, ab absolutely. Well, if if you think back to the kid wandering out in the street, or or the special ops guys, you know, um, on a mission. I mean, they're, they're using short words because those those things are about. This is not time to philosophize or impart lessons. This is a time to direct action. Mm -hmm. And so to do that, people use short words. And the words tend to be in a very quick, almost almost brusque, but almost abrupt, but very definitely plain and simple and straightforward. I mean, I think particularly of, of the way Gary Halbert would close his letters. And for some people to do this, it might almost be embarrassing how plain 
and unvarnished it is. But this is what people need to hear. This is the way people really talk when they're not putting on their social mask. It's the way they talk to each other, not just to children, but adults talking to adults too. So you need to tell them what to do and you need to be very clear about what step to take and what comes next. So that because they're, if you've done a good job, they're in a bit of a froth, right? They're excited. Mm -hmm. And they're maybe not thinking clearly about more practical aspects of signing up for your offer or, or buying your product. And so you need to bring them down to earth, you know, with so that's, I mean, you've seen that, right? Yeah. And one thing that I have, one thing that I've done in video ads that works amazingly is towards the end of the advertisement, show a screenshot of the next page and show a screenshot of what you want. So show somebody filling out their name and their best email on the next page, clicking submit, and then show the next page that pops up so that people have a clear understanding of, oh, after I leave this ad, this is the next step and this is what's going to happen then. Yeah. I mean, you you have to fight against the artistic or educated sense that this is, this is too simple. This is too, you know, lowbrow, low class, unartistic. No, this is what people need. This is what works. Mm -hmm. Um, And another, so this, this kind of ties into another point around, around that simplicity. Sometimes, people go the go so far as to think well you know it should be you got to be an idiot not to understand this is what you want and and just simply to click on the button Mm -hmm. and some of that comes from ego but some of that comes from the fact that as the copywriter or as the business owner as the marketer you have spent hours days weeks maybe months immersing yourself in all the details of this product and you've really sold yourself on it and you really know how it's going to help your prospect. Mm -hmm. Your prospect may have a total of 15 minutes of exposure to it. So they don't have that same totally drenched in understanding of it, right? The curse of knowledge. Curse of knowledge. Exactly. So don't confuse how familiar you are with how familiar your prospect is. This may be all new to them. Mm -hmm. They may be excited enough about what you wrote so that they're not thinking clearly. The most important thing is they won't figure it out for themselves. They need guidance and direction from you. Even if you think it should be obvious what to do and why. And uh, some of this is swallowing your pride a little bit, being humble, realizing, okay, so this is the greatest offer in the world and they should automatically want it, but I'm going to, I'm going to place my money on human nature. Mm. A book, you, you mentioned the word obvious. It should be obvious. What do you want them to do? A book that I love that I think does a great job of explaining all of this is the book Obvious Adams. Mm. It's not about an actual living copywriter, but there's so many examples in there of how simple, short, clear, concise calls to action really work. Oh, yeah, that is a great book. I'm glad you brought it up. 
So, you know, I don't know what the cure is for someone being hesitant and hemming and hawing and not not being confident enough, but I do know that you shouldn't do it, that you should find find a way to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think sometimes the cure is experience, successes and failures. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a few successes under your belt and you see that this kind of thing works, that will motivate you and, and remind you to keep doing this. If you have a few failures where you made the mistakes we're talking about, you didn't ask clearly, you had a good headline, you had a decent story, you had a good offer, but you had a wimpy call to action, maybe that will clear your mind of misguided ideas. I, I don't know. I mean, do, do you have any idea? Yeah, I think of this as like selling from the heel. And the things that I've noticed that help me uh, overcome this Number one, if I feel like I'm selling from the hill, it's usually because I don't understand the offer enough to clearly, concisely put it into a clear call to action at the end. Or it's that I don't actually believe in the offer. There's been a couple times where I've said, yeah, I don't really believe in this. And I've had to quit a job. I had to give a client money back one time because I was like, you know, I just can't do this. And then the, the last one is getting over that fear of rejection. And that's a lot easier in copy because if somebody rejects our offer, well, we lost 35 cents sending it out or we lost a fraction of our email list that we pay for each month um, per contact or whatever. So getting over the fear of rejection is a lot easier in the written word because you're not there looking at them face to face when they tell you no. Yeah, that's good. I, I think an important thing to do, and I believe this is your idea because I had an idea close to this. Well, let me tell you the idea. It's write your CTA first, even before you write your headline. And I've always thought, write your offer first. But in a way, writing your CTA first, it kind of sets a a goal out in the horizon, right? And then everything else is going to move towards it. Uh, One one really good reason to do this is that you're not going to be tired and burned out when you get to writing this part if you don't wait to the end. Yeah. Is, is this something you do? Yeah, and I didn't used to do it. I can't remember who it was. We had a guest on the show one time who said, oh, yeah, I write my calls to action first because usually by the time I get to the call to action, I'm burnt out and I want to quit. And so if I write it at the beginning, I've got that energy. I can I can hit those quick staccato you know, rapid fire words. And I was like, wow, that's so amazing. And I tried it and it works. And so I don't always do it, but if, especially if I have a long, if it's going to be like a 4,000 plus sales page, uh, word plus 4,000 word plus sales page. Yeah. I'll start with the call to action and I'll know, Hey, everything's leading to this. And the one benefit also of that is I can check I can if I if I start going off the beaten path or I start diverging during one of the stories or diverging during the bullet points, I can say, is this leading to the call to action that I already wrote? And if it's not, I know I need to adjust. I need to reposition where I'm going. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's not every sales letter or every sales message, but very frequently, if it's an overwhelming one, it's a great place to start because it gives you that North Star that that beginning with the end in mind kind of feeling. Yeah. Um, I, I think also, you know, I was at Gary Halbert. I think it was him uh, who said that the PS in a, in a sales letter is your second headline. 
in a way, your call to action is kind of like your second headline is in that you don't just want to say buy this. You want to give them the reason, the main reason they should buy it and why they need to act now. You know, you, you, you don't, it, it doesn't need to simply be a neutral technical instruction. It needs to be clearly justified, motivating message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've talked before about skimmer readers, readers that don't read the whole sales letter. They jump to a certain point. Sometimes it's the bullet points. Sometimes it's the PS. But a lot of times people look at it and they're like, oh, I'm, a, I'm interested. How much does this cost? And they'll jump straight to the call to action. And if your call to action is wimpy or you're burnt out and tired by the time you got there, that's the first energy that they get is that burnt out, tired, exhausted. I just want to finish this job. And that's not the first energy you want them getting when they read your message. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, you want to um, wrap up then? I'll, I'll do a recap. So first thing is you want to have a lot of energy and enthusiasm in your call to action. Make sure that you can put your heart into it and your guts into it, your strength. Secondly, use simple words. Be very direct. Use that staccato rhythm. And third, consider try try what Nathan does. Write it fast. Write it first. Don't need, need to write it fast. Need to take your time to craft it correctly, but write it for as your first thing. And maybe we can add, end with a call to action today. From now on, write your call to action first and use what you learn in this podcast as an informal checklist. Hmm. Also, put as much time, effort, and focus into your call to action as you do into your headline and lead. Yeah, absolutely. And if you enjoyed this podcast and you want more just like it, head on over to copywriterspodcast.com. We've got 300 plus episodes just as good as this one over there for you. And until next time, we will catch you later. Catch you later. Hey, did you enjoy today's show? Want to help get it into the ears of more listeners? Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.